All right. Why don't we Why don't we practice that that little catchphrase again? So so we'll do it a few times in the next few weeks. So doing life together. and together. Doing life. All right. See. All right. One more time. Doing life together. and together. Doing life. Good. I love that. And and if you've been with us, you've you kind of heard Jordan say that quite a bit. Is is he's the head of the connection ministry. And I, and I was thinking of that in, in light of what we call the sermon and, and listening to God's word. And, and it's really interesting because this doing life and together, right, we, we get that when it comes to going to Aspire or we get that um, maybe when we go to the commons afterwards or go to Mexico, right? We do these things together. There's this corporate sense. But I find it's really interesting sometimes when, when it comes to the sermon, Right? We get really focused and we take notes. And if we're not careful, listening to God's word and receiving it and wanting to apply it to our lives, uh, we lose the together part of it. And it becomes very individualistic, very privatized. And I think in many ways that's a shame. That's a shame because uh, you come... God speaks to you. He might uh, speak to you in wonderful ways. He might convict you of some things. And you really want to, to be a doer of the word. You really want to make this real in your life. And yet, if you are hesitant, if you're fearful, if you're you know, self-conscious about sharing what God has said to you in his word, uh, my concern is that nothing ever happens with it. Because it was very private. It's just me and Jesus. Right? God spoke to me. Right? And I want to encourage you as we continue, you know, in the year together, as you continue to hear things, whether it's here, podcasts, books, I really want to encourage you the idea of doing life and together includes the application of God's word. Don't be afraid. If God, you know, if God zings you this morning, right, and he just nails you in a good way, the best way possible because he loves you, and you're like, oh, man, that was so good. God's really stirring my heart. God's really calling me to do this. God's really calling. You know what? Share that with someone. Share it. And there's a couple of reasons why. Because if you share it, they might go, me too. And together you can celebrate it. Together you can work together to implement it. The other reason is if you share it with someone, you say, God really spoke to my heart, and this has been a sensitive area. I've been bound by this. I've been struggling with this for years and years. And, and I, I know it's just time. God spoke very clearly through his word, and it's just time for me to, to take some steps, a baby step forward. Will you help me? Why are we so afraid to ask for help to apply God's word? Right? I, I get it. Maybe we're embarrassed. Maybe we we're, we're a bit, you know, self-conscious. We're afraid that someone's going to think, you know, ill of us for asking for help. How many here have a, a, just a wee bit hard time asking for help? Right? The whole, how many of you would rather drive around in circles than ask for directions? How many of you are sitting next to someone who does the same thing, Right? But now we can ask Siri and we can go to Google, right? Right? How many of you still struggle with Siri and Google? Because you got it, you still have it wired, right? And, and so I want to encourage you 
to make the application, not just the hearing, but the doing of God's word corporate. Find someone. Maybe, you know, I know many of you go out to lunch afterwards or you go and you hang out in the commons after. Here's the thing. Make it normative to ask one another what God said to you. Why, why is it that it's kind of strange? Think about how you do church, how I do church. You come, we go through, you know, the, the roadmap. We call it the roadmap here. And then as soon as it's done, we close our Bibles or we, the sermon's over and it's almost forgotten. It's almost like we move on, which is the very opposite of what God intended for your gathering here. Right? Because he says, don't, if, if you come to church and you're just a hearer but not a doer, what does he say? You're deceived. Right? In fact, he's, he uses a very powerful word. He says, if you come to church just to hear and you don't do anything with it, what he actually says in the book of James is you're deluded. I mean, that's, a, that's a, not a very popular word. I mean, no one here wants to feel like you're deluded, but if you're just coming to church and to get a sermon and you don't do any with, anything with it, the book of James very clear says you're not just, you're deluded. And so maybe a help in the 2020, find somebody, uh, one, two, or a group, and maybe share what God said to you and how he's calling you to do something with it. Because I bet that'll transform your life. I bet you won't need to read many other books or listen to many other podcasts, because what has happened to our Christianity? It's about information, information data gathering. Got to listen, got to listen. We're all about more and more information, 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 when truth be known, the Bible is given for transformation. Transformation. I, I, would, I would guess that if God, God could probably transform your life radically in 2020 through the application of like one verse. One verse. Now, don't stop coming to church. He's like, one verse. I don't need to go to church. I got my one verse. It, don't use that as an excuse not to come. But you've got to be real careful on the front end. Are you just information gathering? Is it more data? And that data gathering is now a substitute for actual transformation. You've got to be real careful with that because it's unhealthy. It's like how many of you at Thanksgiving eat way too much to where you're like, Pah. Like, it starts out good, but then after a while, how many of you actually don't feel well? You just physically feel not well. Well, that kind of can kind of happen with data Bible gathering. You keep, and then what they call you're spiritually obese. And you just don't feel well. Well, probably it's because you got so much in there and you're not doing anything with it that you're just on overload. Right? So to kind of process it, I want to encourage you to process it as we move forward as a church family. Share. Share. There is no stigma to sharing with somebody that God spoke to you through God's word. Amen? There's no stigma to that. I mean, please don't let the devil deceive you. Oh, oh, boy, I can't share. Take this out. If God zings you about pride but you're too prideful to share that with someone? Do you see the problem? You're stuck. You're stuck. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you. So stuck that even to the brothers and sisters who are imperfect with you in this journey, 
we can't even share our life together. So I want to encourage you as, as you move forward, don't be afraid to share what God's speaking to you and doing in your life. Don't be afraid to ask for help, for prayer, for counsel of how to make this real. Because that's the whole point of it, isn't it? Amen? Right? And so this year, uh, we've launched, it's January 26th. We've spent this month kind of just getting the gears moving into 2020. And, and our key verse has been Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So you've heard for three weeks, four weeks now, seeking and setting. So just a quick review, this past week, and now it's January 26th, this last month, but just go the last seven days since we were together. What percentage of your mind, your body, your life, this week was set, was seeking and setting on the things above? Just what consumed you? How'd you do in this seeking and setting just in the last seven days? Were you dominated in your thoughts and everything by, you know, world events, national events, your finances, your job? What, what, honestly, in the last seven days has your mind been set on? Right? And we've been looking at that as a, again, this is a great two verses for an entire year. If you purposed in your heart for 2020, Lord, I want 2020 to be the year where I purposely chose daily to seek and set my mind on things above. That would transform your life. Literally transform your life if you sought that out, right? And so we've been looking at different elements of what does it mean to seek and set, and, and we've seen that it takes faith. Right? Peter walking on water, uh, David and Goliath. Today we're going to look at, at this seeking setting again in the element of faith. And, and the title of the message is, is Faith to Face the Unexpected in 2020. Faith to Face the Unexpected in 2020. Right? The, the truth is we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world, a sinful world. So here's the deal. The unexpected can be expected. You can expect the unexpected. The question is, are you prepared for it? Right? It's going to take faith. It's to, to, to keep our mind set on things above in the midst of an unexpected occurrence in 2020, my prayer for us is that God would speak to your heart and prepare you for that. Maybe some of you this morning are already in an unexpected circumstance. How are you dealing with it? Is your mind set on things above even in the midst of this unexpected thing? Right? And so we're going to look at Mark 8. And it's a familiar passage. In Mark 8:27, it says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ, or the Messiah. You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So, Jesus, they're walking. Jesus asks a very pointed question, and Peter gives a very pointed answer. 
Great theological answer, right? Who do you say I am? You are the Christ. You're the Christ. Okay, boom. Nothing wrong with that answer, right? Except for the fact that that right answer on the surface we're about to see about to see was challenged with something very unexpected. And we're going to learn from Peter through his reactions to the unexpected. Maybe we're going to learn something about how we should react and how we should be prepared, right? So they continue in Mark 8. He says, And he began, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So it's really interesting. In the first passage, Jesus asked this pretty straightforward question. Hey, who do you say I am? Peter said, You're the Christ. Right? They keep walking and, and Jesus says, Hey, by the way, guys, Here's the deal. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. He just basically tells them what's about to happen. This is Jesus himself telling his boys what is about to happen, right? And Peter reacts. Peter reacts. He doesn't just grumble. He doesn't just murmur. There is a full-on reaction from Peter to Jesus himself saying what's about to happen, right? And and so this this is really what it is. I'll use you, Scott. When it says that Peter rebukes Jesus, it, it wasn't just like, oh, that Jesus, I can't believe he said that. No, when it says he rebukes him, the word picture is he takes him to the side and says, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? There is no way. He gets in his face. Peter gets in Jesus' face and rebukes Jesus himself. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Right? And so, yeah, and so he has a reaction. But what's interesting is that in Matthew 16, 22, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, think of the irony of what's happening here. Who do people say I am? You are the Christ. Well, this is what's about to happen. Get over here. What are you talking about, Jesus? Lord? It's funny he throws in Lord. Lord just told him what's about to happen. And he's rebuking Lord that it's not going to happen. That is a powerful reaction. What is going on that in one moment, Peter says, you are the Christ. And everyone goes, amen, brother. Amen. Went to VBS and learned that one, right? Great Bible answer. And in the next moment, he's in his face rebuking Jesus, calling him Lord and telling Lord what's really going to happen. What is going on to elicit such a powerful reaction to actually tell Lord Christ you're wrong? 
you are flat out wrong. You're crazy. This will never happen to you. Right? You ever have one of those moments in your life where something unexpected happens and you reacted in such a way that after the fact you wanted to hide under a rock? Anyone? If you're honest? You ever have one of those moments where you're just like, where did that come from? Like you're even shocked at you. Right? And then everyone around you is just like, Right? One of those moments where you just lose it in the, in, the, in the instant. You were caught off guard. Something unexpected happened and you, what we call in the church, fleshed out. Anyone ever have one of those flesh out moments? Ernie driving your car, road rage moment, you know, just all the time, right? So these moments where we're caught off guard, something unexpected happens and we have a reaction. So we all can kind of relate a bit to Peter, right? But what would trigger Peter to that degree to to rebuke the Christ, to rebuke Lord and say, you're just wrong, buddy, right? Well, here's here's kind of what, what I think was going on in Peter. See, when Peter said, you are the Christ... What, what was underlying that statement, that great theological statement, was a whole lot of expectations and a whole lot of assumptions. Because the Jewish people expected the Christ and Messiah to be what? A political military deliverer. They fully expected him to come as the conquering Christ to deliver them from the oppression of Rome. Peter was raised with this. This was a taken for granted truth. And I believe that what happened to Peter happens to a lot of us. Something unexpected happens in our life and maybe more specifically, we have unmet expectations. And we are so disappointed and we are so angry at the unmet expectation that we react. We lash out. Right? And you kind of sit back and you're like, whoa, what just happened there? And sometimes you go, man, I didn't even know I was carrying that that deeply. I didn't even know that mattered to me that much. I didn't even know how long I was harboring that. I didn't even know how deeply I really wanted that to happen. I didn't even know to what degree I actually assumed it was gospel truth and was just going to happen. Some of our greatest disappointments and some of our greatest lashing out is when something that we kind of literally took for granted doesn't happen. And we are profoundly confronted with the unmet expectation. So question for you, question for me. How do you deal with that in your own life? Just take a moment. When you are just, you have these expectations, you have these high hopes, you have these dreams, 
You have a plan all planned out. A, B, C, D, right? Get from here to here. And then how do you deal with unmet expectations in your life? What do you do with that? Now, some of us, Maybe you're at the place where, oh, that's, you know, we, we maybe try to excuse it. So something happens, we have an unmet expectation, you know, I call it a corner, right? You think you're going this way and, and God allows a corner, so you make a hard left, it's a corner, you hit a corner. Some of us, we maybe have this initial lash out reaction. And maybe we're at the place now where we kind of excuse it. Oh, that's just me. Oh, that's just so-and-so, they just... They, they always react that way when things don't go their way. And you've got to be careful about excusing that because I think in our transformation, in our journey with Jesus, rather than excusing and using the, oh, that's just me, that's just how I've always been, I think that God, through his word, through this passage today, wants to teach us how to be prepared for the unexpected. So that when it does happen, here's the thing, when it does happen, as disappointing and as painful as it might be, your reaction moving forward brings glory to God. Your reaction isn't just in the flesh. You might have that still that moment flash, but you catch yourself much quicker and the way you handle it is now becomes a testimony to others who used to know you as the hothead who would just blow up you know, throw a pity party or a tantrum when you didn't get your way and life didn't go as you thought. Maybe in God's transforming you in this area, it's going to be an incredible testimony to those who know you best. And say, what happened? You used to. Man, if this would have happened before, I know you. There might have been some walls punched and there might have been some broken things because you were so angry and disappointed that you didn't get what you thought you were supposed to or the unexpected happened, right? Isaiah 59 says this, or 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask you to be very careful before you answer. How many would amen that verse? Amen, right? How many, based on what we've just talked about the last 10 minutes, are now like, whoa? That's a weighty verse now. That is a, you, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know what that means? Prepare for the unexpected. Prepare for the unexpected because I'm behind everything anyway. He's sovereign. He's in control. His ways are higher than my ways. So what we're talking about here is what happens when my thoughts and my ways don't mesh with His. The real heart issue is, is who's in control? Who's in control? Right? I love that. There's great comfort in that. But man, oh man, as a self 
self-driving, type A, self-centered, like, I got my life together, I don't need any help, thank you very much, guy. That's tough. Because I sure would like God, how many of you would be much happier if, if God checked with you about what way he should go? I'm thinking of this, me being God, does that jive with your ways? Yes? No? Sometimes. And then be like, okay, so what can I do? How can I make my ways your ways? Wouldn't it be cool if God like checked with us and like somehow like came our way a little bit, right? No. No, it doesn't really happen that way. Right? It's like, no, my ways are not your ways. What? What? And this is kind of tough because we are raised in a culture that's very, you know, Make a plan, nothing wrong with plans, and be driven, and you can make, you can be anything you want to be, and da-da-da-da-da, I'm going to have a house on the hill, and da-da-da-da-da. I asked a question, when I was a youth pastor, I asked a question. I said, uh, how many of you as students would trust God in this area? If God knew, knows, we'll, say, we'll use it present tense, if God knows that you winning the lottery would ruin your life. How many of you right now would say, thank you, God, for not letting me win the lottery? <laughs> but I would give to the church. I would give 10, 20% to the church and missions. No. Nah. What if God knows what you really need, not just what you want? What if a lot of my expectations in life are about my wants and God's ways are about what I really need? What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Right? James 4 says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Very important here. This verse isn't saying that making plans is a problem or making plans is evil or sinful. The point of this passage is that making plans independent of God is the problem. When you and I make plans independent of God, what does he say? We're boasting. It's about me and my plans and my way. and my, I'm self-centered and I'm going to do this, right? I don't care what happens. I'm going to forge ahead. We leave God completely out of the equation, right? Proverbs 27.1, don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring. Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. You know what the heart of that passage is? Overconfidence in yourself. It's overconfidence. And the, the Bible in these verses is like, whoa, check yourself here. Again, planning is not bad and evil. It's when you and I plan independent of God. When we leave God out of the equation, when you and I think we got it and we'll call God if we need his help, there's a problem. You're setting yourself up. You're setting yourself up, right? 
Proverbs 16.9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So again, planning, goal setting. I have goals. I have plans for this year personally as a church and my family and ministry. It's not evil and bad. It's good. It keeps us proactive, right? Someone asked me, are you going to run again? I said, yeah, actually, yesterday I just started. I have a goal for September and we're going to compete again. And yesterday was my first day and I was out at the track and I'm sore. So, you know, but I'm starting. So goal setting, planning is not evil, you know, not a problem in and of itself. But you've got to plan with God, right? You're sitting in a building right here that a lot of planning went into this building. A lot of planning. And Bill spearheaded that. And I'll tell you right now, it wasn't as the crow flies. We made our plans and then Bill went on this journey. He went on this journey for months and months and months. Right? We made our plans, but God determined our steps. Right? From the carpet to the, co- the paint to the everything. We made our plans, but God was taking us on his journey in his way and his time. Right? And at a certain point, we had to hold it like this. We hold it like this. So there's this cooperative effort. There's this sort of relationship we have with the Lord where we're seeking him for planning. We're seeking him for vision. We're even doing this for 2020. We've approved a budget. We're going, you know, Mark was up here talking about going to Mexico All of that, Kathy was up here talking about women's ministry. We have vision and we have plans, but here's the deal around here. We hold it like this. We hold it like this. We're moving. Every week we have planning meetings for this service. We have a staff meeting Wednesday and then we meet here at 8 o'clock every Sunday to talk about every detail of this day. And then we get up and we're like, okay, we have a plan. And then it goes like this. Because we don't know who's going to be here. We don't know if the heater's going to break down. We don't know. There's a lot of unknowns in the equation. Okay? And so, in many ways, in your life and in my life, we factor in the unknowns and the unexpected. You have to. But the key is, are you walking with God through it? Are you seeking Him first in your plans and in your life? Are you willing to let His higher ways become your ways? Are you that trusting of him? Are you that submitted to his ways being best for you, right? So three ways that may be practical helps that you can do this in your planning and as you move forward. First, be in the word of God. Second Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to know God's will? It's in his word. First and foremost, Get in his word. Get in his word. Prayer. Matthew 6. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, we talked about prayer for weeks and weeks. Here's a great prayer if you want to incorporate prayer into your planning. Don't say, God, would you please bless this. You say, God, it's a blank sheet. What is your will? You want to start your prayer Correctly, seek his will first. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my finances, in my relationship, in my job. Seek his will and his kingdom first. Don't just ask him to bless what you think you 
should be doing. Okay? Radical shift. Radical shift. Third one, one another. Counsel. Proverbs 15. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. One anothering. You need brothers and sisters in Christ who you're willing and you give permission to speak the truth. Okay? We're not saying surround yourself with people who are yes men and yes women. No. Seek genuine, honest feedback. People who know you, your strengths and your weaknesses. People who you give permission to speak the truth. Who can say, I think you're, I, honestly, I think you're a little, okay, not a little, I think you're way off here, buddy. And tell you why. Now, it may not be pleasant to hear, but man, that's a lot more healthy than just surrounding yourself with people who are going to, amen, sister, I'll be praying for you. You know, I'll be praying for you, but deep down they're like, that's going to fail. You don't want friends like that. You want brother. You want people who are going to say, like, hey, can I talk to you? I'm real concerned. I know you. I know your past. I know your tendencies. Da, da, da. Can we just talk? Because I'm concerned about this area. So be in the Word. Pray. Get counsel. Right? And here's the thing. Anybody here perfect? Are you sitting next to anybody in here that's perfect? Right? In fact, do you hear me say repeatedly, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. Why? Because you'll mess it up, right? You hear that around here. We, we, we embrace our imperfection here. So here's the thing. When you seek the Lord for planning, when you seek the Lord for goals, and you're in the Word, and you're praying, and you have counsel, here's the thing. Make a plan. Begin the plan knowing it's not a perfect plan. And if you just start moving and God starts determining your steps, there's, that's okay. Amen? You've got to get moving. But a lot of us, paralysis over analysis. Lord, which one? The blue car, the red car. The blue car, the red car. And he's like, pick one. Just pick which one you like. See, here's the thing. If you... And again, not perfect, but if you are seeking the Lord, if you're in the Word, if you're praying, if you're in fellowship, right? Who is on the throne of your heart? Him. So who is going to give you vision and desire and passion? Him. Now, you don't do it in isolation, but at a certain point, you've got to have the freedom to pursue your dreams because they're God-given dreams. Amen? A lot of Christians, we flipped it, and now we're so scared of making the wrong choice. See, here's the thing. Make a choice, start moving, and trust God to move you where He wants you as you move. But you got to get out of the boat. Amen? you got to move. Make your plan. God will determine your steps. Move. You want to learn something new in 2020? You want that, you know, that i got to learn an instrument. I want to learn a language. I want to make a new friend. Do something. Do something towards it. And you know what happens? You will light up. You will have passion and enthusiasm for life again because many Christians are like this. I don't want to mess up. I don't want God to get mad at me. What if it's the wrong choice? 
make a choice. Make a choice and start moving and ask God as you move to direct your steps. Some of you will have so much joy in 2020 because you're moving again. How many of you, let's go, how many of you over 40s remember the joy when you were a kid and you were carefree? Remember the carefree days? The beach, surfing, doing kind of like, right, skateboard, whatever you learned. You were just like doing it. Not per- You were just doing it. You remember that, that doing, let's do it. Right? Anyone? See, some of you are already smiling. You already betrayed yourself. That tapped you into a portion of your life where you're like, dude, I, was, I got up and I was excited and I was just going to go do something with my boys and my girls and it was just fun and we were figuring it out as we went. How many of you love to figure it out as you go moment in your life? Anyone? And then what happened? Life. And it got all serious. You got married. You had kids. You got to support them all. Right? And then you live like this. Right? And there's something in you that's like, oh, I just, I'm just craving that, that life of... Uh. What did Jesus say? I came to give you life and life abundantly. Choose. Choose. In humility and in dependence on him, choose. When I was in, in youth ministry, we called it the theology of fun. Pick something fun. Not heavy and not serious. Maybe some of you in 2020, you just need to pick up a fun hobby. And when anyone asks you, hey, why are you doing that? I give you permission to do this because it's fun. How many would love to unapologetically look at someone in the eye and say, because it's fun? Anyone? It's fun, right? It's not practical. It's not, <laughs> we get all practical, we get all serious, right? We're going to change the world through this because, you know, it's, we, we, we get all wrapped up. No, it's just fun. Pick something that's just fun. Or to be able to say this, hey, why are you doing it? Because I want to. Oh, a little selfish, aren't we? <laughs> the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has given you gifts and passions unique to you. When you use them, you are free and you have the joy. So it's okay to say, because I want to, because who gave you the wants? Him. He made you in a certain way. When, Kathy, you paint, right? It's because you enjoy it. It's because you want to, right? You want to. Where did it get so twisted that we can't have fun and we can't want to anymore? It's okay. It's okay. All right? So just, I don't know why we went off there, but that's okay. Just do that. <laughs> have fun in 2020. All right? That was kind of weird. So, his ways are higher than our ways. Peter has this reaction, reveals unmet expectations. So, so what do we do with that? And Jesus, he's, he, he says, okay, here's the deal. Here's how you can and here to how I can and you can, as we leave here, settle on the front end how to be prepared for the unexpected, right? So in Mark 8, he says this. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake 
in the Gospels. We'll save it. We'll stop right there. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Three elements there will keep your heart and my heart in the right place for the unexpected. Deny himself means self is no longer in charge. Right? I give myself completely to the Lord. His ways are higher than my ways. I want his ways. I'm going to start arm wrestling him about whose ways is best. I want his ways. Right? Now, it's very interesting. It's very important where it says deny himself. That is not the same as self-denial. See, self-denial means, you know, I'm going to give up some things or activities for a period of time so that it gets something I want. See, don't confuse it. Because self-denial can still be self-centered. I'm denying myself things to get what I want. A lot of Christians live in self-denial as a way to kind of manipulate God. Hey, God, look what I'm giving up. Hey, God, it's like let's make a deal with God to get what I want. To deny yourself is to take yourself off the throne. Radical difference between denying yourself and self-denial. Take up his cross, right? Number two, take up your cross. It's a public demonstration. You take it up. It's a public demonstration of submission to authority. Take up your cross, right? Follow me. Moment by moment, we choose to follow God's will in submission and trust. And then in verse 35, it says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Here's the crazy thing about, it's a paradox. Because he says, hey, if you want to save your life, lose it. But you're going to lose your life if you try to save it. It's this weird paradox that you win by losing. Right? Give it all up for the Lord and you'll find true life. Hold on to your life and try to control it and, and manipulate your life. You're, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss what God has for you. It's a paradox. You, gotta, you win by losing. Give it all up. And you get this life. In fact, in Mark 10, Peter says this. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Now that's not a health, wealth and prosperity passage. What he's saying is, hey, you know what? If you leave everything and it costs you your home and your family... You know what? Here's the deal. I put you in the church. You now have the resources and relationships in the church. That's what you get now. And ultimately eternal life. That's what he's saying there. Give it all up for me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Now and forever. Right? It's kind of interesting because when it says... Save your life by losing, losing your life and saving. I'm thinking, man, I was, I was thinking of that. I'm like, that's kind of scary. Like getting to the place in your life where you recognize, okay, he says if I lose my life, 
I'm going to save it. If I lose my life, I'm going to get everything, fulfillment, joy, peace, everything, true life, abundant life, by giving it all up, an all-in moment. It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. Like, I don't know if you ever got to that place where you're like, I'm all in. So how do we do? Maybe you're at this place and you're like, okay, what do I do now? I get it. There's a part of me that's kind of scared about that next step, right? And I found, I found in Romans that, that there's this incredible freedom we have in God's promises and truth when it comes to dealing with the unexpected, when it comes to trusting him all in. Romans 8.35 says this, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? That's a bunch of unexpecteds, isn't it? So for you and I to move forward into 2020 with confidence and peace and joy, you've got to look at the unexpecteds in light of God's love for you. That's a great question. Hey, can anything that happens maybe five minutes after this service is done, can anything that happens five minutes or five days or five weeks in the future, if anything unexpected happens in your life, will that ever separate you from the love of God? That's a powerful, powerful truth. And then he answers it. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. Jesus, our Lord. You know why I find that so powerful? Because before I was a believer, there were some unexpected things that happened in my life. Very painful, scary, traumatic, unexpected things. And in retrospect, I look back that those unexpected things caused me to get hardened. I was hardened against the world. I was hardened against people because it was now me against the world. And I wasn't going to let the world or anybody hurt me unexpectedly ever again. And so I kind of walk around with a chip on my shoulder and I walk around with walls and I'm fine, thank you very much. And I realized that a whole lot of my life now became about eliminating any possibility of unexpected things happening. Because unexpected things were equated with pain. And I wanted to do everything in my power to avoid pain or feeling pain. So I recognized that so much of my life was just about doing everything I could to control my life and to control people and to control circumstances so nothing unexpected happened man 
I was like a bull in the china shop sometimes. I had these high expectations of myself. I had these high expectations of people. Failure was not an option in my life or anyone around me because it all had to line up because you are not allowed to be human and you are not allowed to allow the unexpected. And it was a controlled life and it was, in my mind, a secure life, a peaceful life, but in truth, it was a prison. It was a prison and I was angry and I was bitter and I cut off all emotion because I didn't want anything unexpected to occur on my watch. And if it did, it was my fault. It's the life I live. 24-7, 365. Up all the time. Never able to rest. Because the second you rest, you let your guard down. The unexpected happens. It's my fault and it's painful. And then I read this as a believer. And I'm like, what? What? Your ways are higher than my ways? What? These, this laundry list of unexpected? You still love me? In fact, you're loving me through the unexpected? You see, these are, these are zinger verses for me. These verses completely disarm all my human efforts to control my life and flip it on its head and it says, you know what, Richie? When the unexpected happen, because you live in a fallen and broken world, I love you. It's not your fault. You're not alone. That is what I would call painfully freeing. Not easy at all for me. Because in my default, I go back to on-guard mode and prevention mode. And God repeatedly says, no, no, read it again. Your worst-case scenarios are all in that list. Does anyone here have a list of worst-case scenarios in your life? And many of us live in dread and fear and anxiety and worry about those worst-case scenarios happening. Well, that's a worst-case scenario list right here. And he says, hey, in your worst case, you're not separated from my love. You're not separated from my love in your worst case. Right? And then, and then what's even more crazy is in Romans 8.31, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? You see, God's love in the world of unexpected brings me back to the cross. He says, hey, he, he gave you the greatest. He's going to give you everything you need in the worst case scenario, in the worst unexpected you can imagine. He already showed you through his son you're not alone, right? Jerry Bridges says this. Paul used the argument of the greater to the lesser to teach us God's generosity. No blessing we'll ever receive can possibly compare with the gift of God's Son dying for us. God demonstrated his gracious generosity to the ultimate at the cross. And Paul based the assurance 
that we can expect God to meet all our other needs throughout life on the fact that God has already met our greatest need. You see, I spent years and years of my life thinking that my greatest need was to eliminate all the unexpected. That my greatest need was to eliminate all the potential pain, all the potential hurt, all the potential worst-case scenarios. That's what I thought was my greatest need. And then someone shared the gospel with me, and I realized, no, my greatest need was a relationship with God. And the cross reminds me, proves to me, that in whatever unexpected may happen in 2020 and beyond, He's there to meet me. And he's going to be there because he already met my greatest need, Jesus. Right? It's the greater to the lesser. Ray Stedman says this, If we barely manage to win our way to heaven by the skin of our teeth, we could be said to be a conqueror. But a more than conqueror is someone who takes the worst that life can throw at him and uses that to become victorious. More than conquer is one who, by the grace and gift of God and in the strength of God within him, actually takes the very things that are designed to destroy him and they become stepping stones instead of stumbling blocks. See how God's word just flipped it all. You and I can go into 2020. They're not stumbling blocks, they're just stepping stones. Stepping stones in God's transformation to make you more and more like Jesus. And I love this promise in Romans 8.28. We'll close with this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to the purpose of the, for them. You know what set, what set me free in that verse? I just got to love God. And all the unexpected, the expected, and the unexpected in my life, doesn't matter. He's going to work it for the good. I just got to love God and trust him. And with that viewpoint, I can move forward and stumbling blocks are stepping stones. And I can rest in his love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us that in the middle of unexpected, we can expect you to meet our greatest need. Father, Peter had this incredible reaction because he, he had these deep expectations of what the Messiah was supposed to be about. And, and when they weren't met, Peter reacted and he just kind of flipped out. And if we're honest, I know we have those moments in our life when we're caught off guard by unexpected things and disappointments. And it's scary and it's confusing and we get angry and frustrated and discouraged. But Father, my prayer for us this morning is that we would know that nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We can know that since you did not spare your own son but gave him up for us all, you will also give us everything else we need. we can know that all things work for the good to those who love you. Every unexpected thing in our life moving forward, you promise to work for our good.
because your ways are higher than our ways. So as we sing this song, as we have a time of prayer and reflection, Father, we yield our ways to your ways. If we've been battling, if we've been struggling, if we've been angry at you, we confess it. We reaffirm our trust in you. We reaffirm our surrender. We take up our cross. We say yes. We follow. We believe that you are good all the time. We believe that in your goodness you know what we need, not just what we want. And Father, we're reminded that it goes back to the cross. It goes back to the cross. And so this morning we go back to the cross as truth, as proof of your love for us personally, your love. It's not just a a reminder of salvation. It's a reminder this morning of provision. Provision moving forward. You didn't spare your own son. You will also give us everything we need moving forward. So Father, we spend this time with you now in, in prayer, in confession, in declaration, in faith. Faith in your love for us.